When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, APGov, welcome to the second half of Unit 4's test, uh, which is on Congress and the court system. We did the courts very quickly, so if you don't feel comfortable with any of that stuff, please let me know so I can try and help you out. Uh, the review can be found on eClass. There's a Google Doc on there, so if you didn't get the hard copy in class and need it, uh, that's where you can find it. Uh, so let's jump right in. So first off is Fed 78. Now, first off, I need to explain Fed 78 is a judicial thing, so please make note that it's under legislative branch, but it's because I had changed the test a little bit and then I forgot. <clears throat> and so I went back in and I put Fed 78 in this spot as a placeholder and just forgot to move it around. And it's just, it was a mess. But anyways, uh, Fed 78 is a court thing. Okay. So Fed 78 was written uh, as a part of the Federalist Papers. And, and just remember overall, the Federalist Papers at the time were being written uh, because people were, were worried, uh, scared, fearful about the, the new constitution and the new federal government because it was going to have all these powers. And there was a fear, remember back then, that anything that gave power to uh, one person or a group of people or whatever it might be might turn into a tyrannical government. So that's why the Federalist Papers were written to try and calm some of these fears. All righty. And one of the areas that people were concerned about was the judicial branch. So you know, uh, hey, here's this branch that can judge all these things, uh, all the laws, and, and has this power to, to review laws and, and declare them unconstitutional. So what can they do with this power? How are they going to wield this power? Are they going to be you know, good or could they get too strong? And so Hamilton is writing Fed 78 to try and calm some of those fears. All right. And the main takeaway here is to is is what he wrote about and the fact that this is the weakest branch. So, yes, the judicial branch does have judicial review and they have this this kind of check over uh, the president and Congress. But even though they have that, they're still the weakest of the branches because they are reliant on the other branches. They literally can't do anything without the other branches help. All right. So they make a decision. But there's no Supreme Court group, no Supreme Court police, law enforcement or anything like that going out to enforce the decisions. Think back to some of the famous decisions that have taken time to implement. I said it in class and I use it all the time, but Brown versus Board of Education. It was decided in 1954. We weren't fully integrated until 1967. So, yes, this decision was made, but the states didn't enforce it. The president doesn't always enforce stuff. Andrew Jackson with the Cherokee, they won. They were they won their court case. Jackson told the chief justice at the time, hey, you made your decision. Now you come in enforcement and proceeded to kick the, the Cherokee off the land. So they are very reliant on uh, the president and the states to really enforce decisions. All right, next up is redistricting. Uh, so redistricting, remember, happens every 10 years. And it comes 
after the census and the population shifts. Now, some states are going to have to redistrict because they increase or decrease their districts. Uh, if you're one of those states, you have no choice but to redistrict. Then other states like Georgia, we redistricted because there were population shifts within our state. Okay, so you have people moving into the metro area, people leaving some of the rural areas and, and whatnot. And so they had to redistrict. They had to redraw the lines. Now, who does that? Well, remember, it's the state legislatures. So people get confused and what's well, the federal thing? Well, no, it's actually the state legislatures that redistrict. Now, that stuff leads to gerrymandering, uh, which I think we'll get to a little bit later. So I'm not going to go into it right now. Just remember redistricting is where the lines of congressional districts are redrawn within the states. Uh, it happens every 10 years. Some states have to do it. Other states choose to do it. And it's done by the state legislatures. All right, pork barrel legislation. Uh, this is legislation, and it could be any number of things, okay? It could be uh, a federal project that uh, a House member or a senator gets for their district or state. Uh, it could be some kind of federal contract. Um, it could be just money. And that's what those things are really is money sent to the district that really only benefits that district or that state. It's not going to help the rest, rest of the country. Okay. That's pork barrel. Uh, it used to be really bad. And, and that's why we make a big deal about it today is because it used to be such a big thing. Uh, it's not, it still happens today because, you know, Congress people like to be able to get stuff for their district. It makes them look good. So let's get as much positive, uh, for our district as possible. And then I can claim it. I can credit claim, uh, when I'm running for reelection. So it is something that Congress people really, 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 really like to do. Uh, all right. Next up is the house rules committee and their responsibility. So remember, this is the most powerful committee, uh, in in either House or Senate, but it is only a House thing. That's why the, the review says House Rules Committee and not a Senate Rules Committee, okay? Uh, remember, this is the committee that's going to get every bill after it leaves its initial committee. So the House, it goes to the Agricultural Committee. Once they're done with it, it goes to the Rules Committee. After it's done, in the and I'm just generally speaking here about bills, they go to their main committee, so Education Committee, uh, Veterans Affairs Committee, whatever it might be, and then it goes to the Rules Committee. And they're the ones that are going to set the agenda for it. And so they're going to put it on the calendar. They're going to set the rules for debate. They're going to say if it's open and closed. Uh, basically, they get to really create uh, a kind of how this bill is going to go about getting passed or, or not getting passed. Because they can make it very difficult with their rules. They can also make it kind of easy to get passed. All right, the House and Senate differences. So there's a couple questions on the test about the House and Senate differences. Uh, the big thing to remember is obviously there's some of the 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 organizational differences, like 435 versus 100, six years versus two years, and things like that. Uh, their power structure is kind of similar. The, the House has the rule. I mean, the uh, the Speaker, the Senate doesn't have that, but they both have majority leaders. They both have minority leaders. Um, but there, there are some differences with the organization. The VP is the president of the Senate, uh, and then it gets into the minority and majority leaders. So, that, so there are some differences with the organization uh, and, the, and the power structure. Uh, so if you can remember all that for the differences, I think you'll be good for both questions. Um, 
All right, next up, number six is filibustering and cloture. So remember, filibustering, we oftentimes hear that as killing a bill by talking it to death. You remember, you're not really talking it to death. You're not killing the bill. You're delaying everything else. And so you're trying to put pressure on to the majority party in the Senate. Remember, this is a Senate-only thing. You're trying to put pressure on them, okay, uh, to either make changes to the bill that you want to see as the uh, as the minority party or to just move on from it and say, okay, we'll go back to the drawing board with this thing. And it happens. It does happen because you know you can filibuster the crap out of something. Like you can just filibuster, 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 filibuster um, for, for quite a while. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a lot of pressure on the other bills because they got to get passed as well. And so uh, it is a powerful tool. Now it can be ended by the cloture. Remember the cloture vote, this is a bit, this is a motion that will end debate. So if I am tired of listening to someone talk, I can make a cloture motion and say, Hey, um, let's end debate because that's what cloture means. All right. And if we get 60, remember that number, you got to remember 60, that's going to end uh, the debate and we'll vote on the issue right then and there. All right. Number seven, the role of the Speaker of the House and their responsibilities. So um, they have a lot of sway, a lot of power in the House. All right. They're going to control the agenda. They're going to be in charge of it when it's in session. They hold, sit up and hold the gavel. They watch the time for people's speeches and stuff like that. Uh, they will assist and kind of determine which, which committees you're going to be on. They're going to work with the president. All right. Now, right now, it's easy because it's Democrat and Democrat. If the Republicans take control like it's looking like, you know, they're not going to work as well, but they'll still, you know, listen to the president. Uh, they're not going to be that petty. Uh, so all those things to say, you know, the, the Speaker of the House really drives the House and really drives the agenda of the House. All right. Number eight is the delegate versus trustee. Uh, if you are a delegate, meaning, hey, I, this is how I'm going to vote on issues, then you vote with your constituents regardless of how you feel about an issue. All right. Uh, if you're a trustee, then I vote how I feel, regardless of what my constituents feel. So delegate, I vote with my constituents. Trustee, I vote with me. Remember the Politico as well, and that's going to be the one that uh, you do both. And you can do both, and most Congress people will. On big issues, they'll take the delegate model where, hey, let's vote with my constituents on this because this is high profile. They'll know how I voted. On stuff that's not so important, kind of obscure, they will sometimes vote delegate. I mean, uh, trustee, I'm so sorry, trustee, uh, because, hey, no one's going to pay attention to this. Uh, all right, number nine, the four types of committees and their work. So you've got the four types. You've got standing, uh, which is the permanent. You have standing committees that last from session to session. The rules committee has been around since 1790. All right. Uh, you And this is where all the work takes place because they are the ones that get every single bill. They're also the ones that will handle most of the oversight uh, stuff, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, but standing is where the brunt of the work is done in Congress. Okay. Uh, they get the bill and then they have hearings on that bill. They listen to experts. They will make changes to the bill. Uh, that's where a lot of decisions are made about the bill, both positive and negative. So some of the changes are good. Some of the changes are bad. Sometimes they'll just kill a bill. The standing committee has that power as well, where they just let it, you know, Hey, we're not going to work on this thing. We're not going to do anything with it. 
So that's an option as well. Uh, next up is the select committee. And there is House select committees and there are Senate select committees. These never combine. Just like the standing committees, committees never combine House and Senate, the select committees are the same way. So right now there is a select committee on the January 6th uh, stuff that happened. Now, if the Republicans take control of the House, like it looks like, that committee will go away. It will cease to exist because the majority party will be in control and they will get rid of that. All right. Uh, if the Democrats somehow maintain control, then it'll keep on going, I would assume. Uh, anyway, so they do an investigation. So right now they're investigating January 6th. Uh, whatever they want to investigate, the select committees can. Now, the Speaker of the House plays a role in allowing that to happen. Okay. And that's why I'm saying that the January 6th committee will go away if the Republicans take control. Then you got joint committees. Uh, this was not on the test, but just, you know, they are a reporting. So they are going to compile information, and report it to the American people. And then you've got the conference committee. Uh, the conference committee, uh, remember, this is when a bill passes as one version from the House and a different version from the Senate. Remember, they got to be the exact same version because they cross over. So the House passes a bill, it goes to the Senate. To, to pass. The Senate passes a bill, it goes to the House to pass. So they got to pass exactly the same. If they don't pass exactly the same, the conference committee gets together and uh, makes whatever changes needs to be made uh, so that it is the same exact bill. Then it goes back to those houses, House and Senate, and they vote on it, and then it can go to the president. All right, but it cannot go uh, before that. It has to be the exact same bill. All right. Um, so what happens in committees and subcommittees? Remember, uh, every bill goes here, okay? There is not a bill that has been introduced ever in the House or in the Senate that has not gone to a committee. That's where they go, and that's where all the work is done, okay? Uh, that is where they are going to uh, get stuff done is in those committees and in those subcommittees, whether it's working on a bill or uh, oversight hearings. That is where they do most of their work. They don't do it on the House floor. They do, don't do it on the Senate floor. It's going to be in the committees. Okay. Uh, oversight. Remember, this is the committees, and it's typically going to be the standing committees uh, where they are going to question. A lot of times it's going to be bureaucratic agents. They're going to question them about you know, how a law or a policy is being carried out, about uh, some kind of problem or issue that the bureaucratic agencies had. It can be public people. All right, so don't forget that. It's not just limited to bureaucratic agents. It can be uh, other individuals. Um, like I, I told you in class, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg got called in. Uh, there was another time where uh, John Stewart was talking to a committee uh, on 9-11. So you know, it can be public people as well. All right, uh, the committee chair and the importance. So I think you've seen this question on the quiz, so be sure and take a look at these things. But just remember, uh, it's always going to be from the majority party. OK. And, you know, that's a, a, a big thing because they get to control the agenda of that committee. So, hey, here's a bill. It's from the majority party. Let's have a hearing on it. Let's get it done. Let's vote on it in a timely fashion. Here's a bill from the minority party. Uh, let's take our time. I don't really like this thing. Let's put it on the shelf for a little bit and not talk about it. OK, so you have that power and that ability as the committee chair. Uh, and once again, it's very important to be the majority party, especially in the House, because you do have so much control and there's so little that the minority party can do versus the Senate, where there is the filibuster and some other tools. Uh, all right. Thirteen, the constituency influence. So first off, when you see the word constituency on the test, remember that is just us. 
We are all constituents. It is just the citizens uh, of a House member's district or a senator's state. Um, and so we, we play a big role in how Congress people are going to, to do their jobs. Okay. Um, remember, going back to the delegate trustee thing, a congressperson that votes against us, so basically out of line with what we as constituents want, uh, aren't going to be very often reelected. Okay. Um, it is vital on big issues for Congress people to know what we as constituents want and vote with us or they're not going to be reelected. Okay. Uh, and I can't stress that enough uh, because if they vote against us consistently, they, their challengers are going to let us as, as, as citizens know. And if, and if we're paying attention, you know, and we'll know, Hey, our congressperson voted for this, voted for that, voted against us uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's important for Congress people to have an idea of, of what we do or what she's not, of what we want. And that's not very difficult because polls are getting run all the time. And so they are, they should have a good idea of what we want and they need to vote with us. All right. 14, we've already done the differences between the house and the Senate, uh, remember formal versus, uh, informal. Okay. Uh, and just some of the rules that are out there. I think you're, I think you should be good there. Uh, I'm not going to go through, there was a whole PowerPoint we went through, uh, the impeachment process. So that is a check the, the Congress has on the president. Remember, we've done this a couple of times. It starts in the House. You need a simple majority over there uh, to get uh, a president impeached. Okay, please remember it is not kicking out. All right, you can be impeached and not be kicked out. But the House votes for impeachment, the articles of impeachment over there, simple majority, and then goes to the Senate, and the Senate has the trial and reaches the verdict. All right. So it is a combo deal and it starts in the house and it goes to the Senate. Okay. We've done standing committees. Uh, just, we talked about those already. Uh, remember they, um, yeah, they're the permanent ones and they are going to, uh, do a lot of work when it comes to, uh, the bills and the laws and, and oversight and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, closed versus open rule. So this is in the um, house and a bill can either be open or closed on the floor. If it's closed, you can't add any amendments to it. Okay. You can't add any amendments to it. If it's open, then you can add amendments to a bill. Now they do have to be germane. Remember they have to be on topic, uh, but you can do that if it's open. If it's closed, it's closed. It's set. All right. Congressional checks. I think I've gotten mixed up here because I skipped standing in conference committees and I tried to skip whatever. So back to the Congress. So 18 uh, Congress checks on the Supreme Court. Uh, remember they can do a couple of things. Okay. They can do uh, a couple of things to the uh, Supreme Court decisions. So within the decision, they really can't do much. But afterwards, they can make a law, all right, where they uh, either make a whole new law, they change 
part of a law or anything like that, they can do that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, they can make an amendment. So if they wanted to go with that role, they could do that because that completely circumvents the, uh, the, the courts. All righty. Uh, they have the ability to confirm appointments. Remember the, the Senate does that. So they, that's the main one they'll use because that's the easiest is they want to be sure and vet uh, the, the judges as well as they can. All right. Uh, and then they, Oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on what the, the other thing they can do. Um, I don't think it's on the test. So I think you're okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I actually can't read my writing. And so I'm, I'm not able to remember what I said. And so uh, I need to remember to write better, which is almost impossible for me. Okay. Um, da -da -da -da, let's see. So we did the closed versus open rule. All right. The redistricting solutions. Uh, remember, you've seen this question. Uh, and remember, it's done by state legislatures. And so there's a lot of partisanship down there because you know Republicans are going to take care of Republicans, Democrats are going to take care of Democrats when they get to do this. And so um, one of the things they do um, is they draw the lines in favor of themselves. So let's take it out of their hands and let's give it to a federal independent advisory board or whatever it might be. Someone who doesn't have any skin in the game is where we're going with that. All right. Uh, number 21, Baker versus Carr. So this was the court case that dealt with uh, overrepresentation versus underrepresentation. You might sometimes see it as one person, one vote. Basically, in Tennessee, they had not redistricted in 60 years. All right. And so uh, you had this urban district where there was a lot of people that had moved in there and one person was trying to represent all these people versus the rural areas where people had left and you had one person represent a small amount. Okay. And so they uh, ruled that first off, you have to redistrict Tennessee. It's, you, you made a law that says you have to do that, but it also made clear that they believed you had to have districts that were fairly equal population wise. You couldn't have one district that was huge with a large number of people that faced underrepresentation versus other districts that had uh, very small populations and were overrepresented. Okay, that's where the one person one vote comes from. And so that's Baker versus Carr. Now, remember, it's not gerrymandering. It fell into our gerrymandering section uh, because it deals with redistricting. All right. But the most important thing to remember here is what we just said and the fact that this is what opened up the courts. The courts used to not look at redistricting questions. That was considered a political issue and they try not to answer political questions. That's why they will not get involved in the budget issues that the Congress and the president have, because that's a political issue. They used to consider redistricting a political issue. So you had lines being drawn all, all over the place and all kinds of crazy and the courts would never step in. Well, Baker versus Carr opened up that door. And so now they do look at gerrymandering cases. Okay. So that's the legislative branch, the federal judiciary. So uh, original jurisdiction, remember, that is where the entry point is of your case. District courts have original jurisdiction. They will hear a case first. Uh, the Supreme Court hears a couple of cases first, but not many. Okay. Uh, versus appellate, this is where you have appealed. Okay, so it's being brought. I'm appealing my decision from this lower court. Uh, I want you to make a decision. That's appellate jurisdiction. Uh, the rule of four that gets your case heard. So if four justices want to hear your case uh, officially, then that gets you uh, onto the Supreme Court docket and your lawyer gets to go to work. Uh, activism. So activism is going to be where judges use their personal opinions, their personal beliefs, and they set policy 
through their decisions that they make on the bench. Okay. Um, you had an assignment on this and you had to look at different court cases for activism. You had to look at, uh, Brown versus Board and Miranda versus Arizona. So Brown versus Board, they could have easily said, hey, Plessy versus Ferguson set this policy a long time ago, and they could have left it at that. But they chose wisely to overturn Plessy versus Ferguson and create a new policy with Brown versus Board. Miranda versus Arizona uh, is didn't overturn anything, but it would have been very easy for them to say, hey, this guy's a criminal. He confessed. Uh, he doesn't get any rights. Okay. But instead, they chose to uh, kind of set a new policy where now you have to have your rights read to you uh, in the Miranda versus Arizona case. Now, restraint, okay, uh, this is where you really rely on the Constitution and you kind of try and put your personal beliefs aside. You try and kind of put anything else, public public opinion, anything like that aside. Texas versus Johnson was the one you had to work with here. And Texas versus Johnson, they could have been very easily to say, hey, yeah, you can't burn the flag. No one, popular opinion says no one wants the flag to be burnt. Um, but they chose to honor the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the freedom of speech and the symbolic speech. Uh, appellate versus the district. So remember the district courts, uh, that is where uh, everything it happens, okay? They have to go, uh, every, every, that's where things are initiated. So there is no uh, appeals in the district court. Okay, so remember that's original jurisdiction versus the appellate court where they just review the old decisions, whether it's from the district court or from the states. All right, amicus curiae. Uh, these are letters from the court, or not from the court, excuse me, uh, letters from people who want to kind of try and influence the courts. All right, um, and they will write information and say, hey, this is the, the case, this is what we believe, and this is how we think you should, should rule, all right? Uh, Marbury versus Madison, that is the case that established judicial review way back when. Uh, we've talked about it a couple times, and you've talked about it a couple times in your uh, school career, uh, but this is what really, you know, they, they were going to have this ability to begin with. However, Marbury versus Madison is what really established it because it's the first time they used it, all right, back in 1803 or whenever it was. Uh, court problems after the, the, the decision. So just remember what we talked about at the very, very beginning of this podcast uh, about Fed 78 and the fact that the court is very reliant on other people to enforce their decisions, specifically the president uh, and the states. Okay. And so they have a hard, it, it's, it's very difficult for the Supreme Court to get anything done. All right, because they make a decision and then they have to rely on these other individuals or states uh, to actually implement their decisions. Okay. All right. That is that. If you have any questions or concerns, as always, email me, text me on Talking Points. Come see me. Uh, I'm in school about 630 uh, every morning, or you can come during advisement if I have you later uh, in the day, whenever. You know, just come and ask questions. I, I don't know what you don't know. Uh, or what you're unsure of. But I want to make sure you are sure of everything. So come ask me questions or send me questions via email uh, or uh, the talking points or whatever you have to do to get a hold of me. All right, guys, I hope everything is well. Uh, if I don't see you for some reason, then I hope you have a great Thanksgiving break. Bye-bye.